You can have a seat. Heard a report recently about millennials and how they are grieving over the loss of the family movie night. Lots of millennials in the room. Are y'all missing that? They say, well, here's the deal. Back when they were kids, you went to the movie store, right? You hoped there were a few new releases left on that wall. Picked out a movie for the night, picked up the pizza on the way home, and then went home, had pizza together, watched a movie as a family. And they are grieving that all that's gone because Blockbuster and family movie, they're all gone the way of the dinosaur. And so you just like choose one to stream, right? And then have the pizza delivered and it's not the same experience for their kids. You know, change is hard. Even on the small things, it's, it's difficult when things that we like change, whether it's as a culture or as a person, as a family, something is not the way it used to be. And we sometimes grieve over the loss of whatever is changed. It feels a little bit like the world gets turned upside down sometimes. And we're in this series called Upside Down, and we're thinking about how sometimes it's Jesus that turns everything upside down. It's Jesus who challenges some of the assumptions, the presuppositions that we have as we come to church life, as we come to life in general. And Jesus turns things on their head, and we have to rethink all that we know about life and about following him. That's true now, and it was true in the first century. Now, we began this series last week called Upside Down, and, and this week we continue in it, and we're thinking about this basic presupposition. More money is always better. Most of us would agree with that, right? It's always better to have a little more money. Now, we might say, you know, I've heard the horror stories. Maybe it's not really all that great to win the lottery and suddenly have $150 million. It ruins a lot of people's lives. We've seen that. So maybe I don't want $150 million, but $150,000 sure would be good today, right? Wouldn't mind that a bit if that fell in my lap, got a promotion on my job, made more money, got a raise. It just happened from some unexpected source to get more money. We would probably see that as a blessing from God, right? And in a lot of ways, sometimes it is. Because a little more money might allow us to provide for our family more completely, might help us make the, the ends meet a little bit better, might allow us to do for more for our kids' education. Those are all good things. And so it feels like a little more money is always a better thing. What did Jesus have to say about that? Again, sometimes Jesus challenges us in ways that we don't want him to. And when he starts talking about money, it can get real uncomfortable real fast. Now, today we turn to Mark chapter 10 as we continue in this series, just like we were last week. We talked about two stories in Mark 10 last week. This story falls between... And you might remember if you were here last week or joined us online that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He, he knows what's there. It's the cross. He's on a mission. He's headed that direction. And then there are all these distractions. Jesus doesn't necessarily see him as that, but the people around him do. And here's one more person in this story in Mark 10 that comes to Jesus and wants something. And what he wants is the answer to a question. And here's how the story goes. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
There's a lot we know about this man just from this verse. A lot we don't know, a lot we never even find out, but we find out this is a man who thinks that Jesus is special because he comes up to Jesus and humbles himself enough to get on his knees before Jesus. He believes Jesus has answers to questions that no one else has. And so he wants an answer to the most important question. I mean, this man seems to know what matters, we're going to find out, maybe there's some questions about that as we go through the story, but he wants an answer to this question. How do I get eternal life? And that tells us he's concerned about God. He's concerned about his relationship with God. He's concerned about spending eternity with God. That's what that would have meant to him, that, that life would not end in death, but there would be something more, and that more would be life in eternity with God. So Jesus how do I get that? Now, we notice he called Jesus good teacher. The first thing Jesus does is say, why don't you call me good? <clears throat> None of us are good, okay? And that implies you're not good either. That's what he's telling the man. None of us are perfect. And then he begins to answer the question. And here's his answer, beginning in verse 19. <clears throat> you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Now, if you've been with us or listening the last few weeks, that should sound familiar because just a few weeks ago we were in Exodus and we heard the Ten Commandments. And this is all quoted from the Ten Commandments except the line, do not defraud, which is certainly consistent with the Ten Commandments. These are all from that set of law given to Israel centuries before. So this would not have surprised the man. Okay? Nothing Jesus is saying is shocking to the man. This would have been common teaching for all Jews in this day. They would have known the Ten Commandments. Notice that Jesus keys in on the ones that are interpersonal, right? Not so much the ones with how we relate to God, but how we relate to each other. And he gives the ones that are the easiest to measure. <clears throat> You've either committed murder, or you haven't. You've either stolen or you haven't. You've either committed adultery or you haven't. Pretty easy to tell. Here's how the man responds to that. Teacher, he declared, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. And what he's referring to there is at the age of 12, each Jew was responsible for that point for the rest of their lives for keeping the law. They'd been taught it up to that point. From that point on, they do. And, and most Jews would have given the same answer. No, I haven't killed anyone. No, I haven't committed adultery. No, I don't steal. Okay, this was expected. They were supposed to do this, and most people could say they had. Some have said this seems like pride. It's probably just what everyone would have said. Now, if the story ended there, my guess is it never shows up in the Gospels. Because this could have happened with any teacher in ancient Israel. Most every teacher would have said something like this and have gotten the same response, and there's nothing remarkable. But Jesus continues. And that's where the story gets a little shocking. That's where things begin to be turned upside down. Mark tells us that in verse 21, Jesus looked at the man and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. 
Now, Jesus didn't say this to everyone, did he? I mean, it's not like this is the only message that Jesus ever shared, but, but Jesus looked at this man and he loved him. Now, if Mark didn't tell us that, I would think that Jesus is saying to this guy, man, you are an arrogant jerk, and I am really going to pull your chain here. Why don't you go sell everything you have and give it to the poor? But, but that's not what Mark tells us. Mark tells us Jesus loved him. Here's a guy who was serious about his relationship with God, and Jesus loved that, loved that he's created by God, loved that God loved this man, and so he responds to him in a way that gets to the heart of everything. He told the man the truth because he loved him. Now, why does he tell him this truth? If it's not something that he tells everybody, it's not because it was a secret, but, but because it's what this man needed to hear. There was something about his attachment to money that made him need to hear this message. Sell what you've got, give to the poor, then come, follow me. If you want to inherit eternal life, this is what you need to do. And then one of the saddest verses that I think we find in the whole New Testament, verse 22, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You know, we don't make t-shirts out of Mark 10, 22, do we? It's not one we think about. Don't put it on bumper stickers. It's a tragic story. Here this man comes to Jesus, bows down before him. He wants to know the answer. He wants eternal life. Jesus, what do I have to do? Jesus tells him. And he's just not willing. And Mark says he's not willing because he has great wealth. Now, if you'd been standing around listening to this interchange and lived in ancient Palestine, it would have been a little surprising. Because most everybody believed that the wealthy among them were wealthy for a reason. Because God had blessed them. They had lived a good life, they had done what was right, and God had blessed them financially because of their righteousness. So, everyone would have seen this man as right with God. Here's a guy who can give to the poor. Here's a guy who's kept the commands. Here's a guy God has blessed with money. Certainly, he is right with God. It's assumed that. And then Jesus says this. Well, we get a little reaction from the disciples first. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples who are standing there, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now we're uncomfortable with that. Because we know that compared with most of the world's population, everyone in this room is rich. Now we may not feel like it. Because there are strains, I get it. But compared with most people, we have way more. I mean, we put on clothes, had food, woke up indoors, drove to church. All that, that little snapshot of our morning says we have more than most people in the world. And here's Jesus saying, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's uncomfortable. But we don't leave it there. 
The disciples were amazed at his words. So what does Jesus do? Gives it some qualification, backs off a little bit. No. He said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easy for, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some have said this refers to a real small gate in the wall in Jerusalem that camels had to get to on their knees. That shows up maybe in the Middle Ages. Nobody ever talks about it in the ancient world. What Jesus is saying is think of the biggest animal you can, camel. Think of the smallest hole you can, needle. How are you going to get a camel through the eye of a needle? You're not. It's impossible. And it was a figure of speech to say something is impossible. And his disciples are just as confused as we are because they say, they were even more amazed and said to one another, who then can be saved? Jesus like this guy that you just sent packing, he's the poster child for good person who follows God in Palestine. And you just said he's not good enough. So if he's not good enough, who is? Jesus, who, who gets in? If that guy doesn't get in, who gets in? Jesus looked at them and said, with man... This is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And there's the verse for your t-shirt, right? Because that's the good news. The bad news is we're going to mess it up. The bad news is, as much as we try, sometimes we get our priorities out of balance. Sometimes we just, we mess up. We don't get it right. The good news is, even in the face of our messed up priorities, our sin, all things are possible with God. Because of Jesus. But that gives us some responsibility. It gives us the responsibility to take seriously what Jesus said to this man. And for this man, the thing that got in between him and God, the thing that separated him from God, the way he was messed up in his priorities, was money. Maybe that's it for us. Maybe it's something else. But what I think we need to hear is to get rid of the stuff that separates you from God, whatever it is. Get rid of the stuff that separates you from God. Now, that can be a lot of things. It can be things that God has given. I believe God does bless us financially. I believe God takes care of us. But sometimes we start worshiping money rather than worshiping God. And a job is a blessing, right? And a job helps us accomplish something. We feel like we do something in our work. It gives us a sense of identity. It provides money for our families. That's a blessing. But you know what? If we're not careful... Instead of worshiping God, we can worship what He's given us, the job. Even something as important as our families. Our families are a blessing from God. Our kids, our parents, our spouses are a blessing. But if we're not careful, we can worship our family instead of worshiping God. What's most important? Get rid of whatever separates you from God. Now when we start talking about money... I don't say this lightly, and I don't think Jesus did either. 
There's somebody in the room, some people in the room. There is in every room. that Man, you are struggling right now. You are wondering how some bills are going to get paid. The job's not providing. Something's wrong. There's been a crisis health-wise. Something in the house, the car. And you just don't know. Right? So you're struggling. You're praying for God to help you provide for this need. And you should. The problem is when our money comes between us and God. For somebody else, Jesus might have said, you know what you need to do? You need to quit your job and get a job that allows you to spend time with your family and spend time worshiping me. Or maybe you need to rethink how you work with family. Whatever it is. Could have been different for someone else. The point is, there are things that get between us and God. What we have to ask ourselves is, What is more important than God? What's between me and God? What is it that I would say I could never have too much of? A little more would always be better. That's one of those things when you say, okay, there's a red flag. And I need to investigate it. Maybe everything's okay. Maybe it's something that a little more is better. But i got to think that through. I need to work through that. Is it better? Because if it's between me and God, then I'm worshiping something that doesn't deserve my worship. You see, here's part of the deal. God created us for a reason. We were created to reflect His glory to the people around us, to show people who He is, to live in such a way that they know God because they know us. And if we're not living that life, we're missing the life that God created us for. And God wants for us more than anything to follow Him, to be His creature so that we can reflect who he is. And when we do that, we'll find ourselves fulfilled. We'll find ourselves being the people that God wants us to be. But when we start worshiping other things, that's when we miss out. The good news for us today is that all things are possible with God. So, for you today, get rid of the things that separate you from God. Let's pray. God, we confess that there have been times in our lives when we have allowed something or lots of things to get between you and us. God, help us to identify them. And even if it makes us as uncomfortable as it made this man that Jesus spoke to, help us to see them for what they are and then change our lives. Pray it in Jesus' name. Let's stand and continue to worship.